Now, a few years ago, I went to this uh, church leadership conference. It was in this area, uh, and it was a few years back. There's a lot of things that had happened during that conference. It was really, really powerful. But there was one thing in particular that I think I'm always going to remember. Um, one of the sessions, uh, they allowed us to sit into one of the, the church's kind of member care uh, kind of sessions. Uh, and what happened was a bunch of the elders and leaders, with, along with the pastor, they would be discussing their members. Now, due to privacy, they wouldn't use any names. They would be kind of vague in the details. But they would allow us to kind of see uh, how they would care for other people. Uh, and so it was just really eye-opening for me at that time as I was fairly new to ministry. Now, for one of the members, I remember they were uh, kind of talking um, and they had brought up this person because he had committed adultery, uh, and it was with multiple women. And that wasn't the only thing. He was also um, somebody who was kind of shameless about it. He, he, he wasn't repentant over his actions. Uh, and I remember hearing this. I was like, I was aghast, right? I was like, oh my goodness, how can they even talk about this? Like, what, what are they going to do about this? And, and I remember... Um, like, a lot of the other leaders also kind of had the same opinion. They were talking about, okay, well, this person, I think the best thing to do is to call him out in front of everybody, to punish him, uh, and to uh, probably kick him out of the church. And I was like, in, you know, I didn't say anything because it was kind of a solemn, but I was like, in my, in my heart, I was like, yes, yes. And I was like, you know, we should throw eggs at him. We should kind of write a scarlet letter. We should, we should do something. You know, that's kind of too much, right? That's, that's what I was thinking, and I remember they were going from each person, one person at a time, and it came finally to the pastor, and he was giving his opinion, and, and this pastor, he's a very famous pastor, he's, he's also one of the most conservative pastors that I know, um, and so I was expecting him to kind of say something along a similar line, but what he ended up saying was um, something I'm, I probably will never forget, because um, he spent, he's, he stopped for a few seconds, he was thinking, and he said, um, I don't know if punishing him like this is the right thing to do, right? Um, and then he ended up saying, the reason why is because I wonder if he's wicked or if he's just weak, right? And at that time, I kind of just, it woke me up, because it, he kept on saying, he went on and he said, look, I, I wonder if this person is actually trying to be intentional in what his actions, if he's trying to hurt his wife or other people and, and trying to hurt the church, or maybe I wonder if he's just spiritually weak. Maybe the solution isn't to call him out and to kick him out, but maybe the solution is to surround him with strong brothers in Christ who can patiently lead him. You know, when I heard that, and to this point, this was like six, seven years ago, it has been a defining concept for me in ministry. Is this person really wicked? Are they really being intentional and bringing division? Or is this person just spiritually weak and immature. And then I realized that the, the way that I think about that, the way that I kind of judge that person in that way is, it, 
is going to differ in how I treat them as well and how I care for them. You know, the reason I'm bringing this up is because as we go further in the book of Luke, one thing that you'll see with Jesus is how he treats people. And it's interesting because as you continue to read in the book of Luke, you're going to see that he comes in contact with primarily two different types of people. And for each of these two types of people, he treats them very differently. He cares for them very differently. The first type of people are what society would call sinners back then, the tax collectors who would cheat people out of money, the prostitutes, the liars, and and even the adulterers. And it's interesting because for those people, Jesus was really patient. He was really kind. He was loving to them, and he, he constantly, almost strangely, almost uncomfortably showed them grace. And yet, uh, on the flip side were the other types of people, the Pharisees, or these were the leaders of the church. For them, he would be upfront. He would be angry. He would be quick to, dis- to dismiss. You see, two types of people, two different ways of caring. And you see, the reason why Jesus was so harsh with the Pharisees, the reason why he was so quick to dismiss and so quick to correct the Pharisees was because Jesus hated religion. Because religion at that time was a wicked thing because it offered people false hope. It gave them the false sense of delusional type of hope and believing that if they followed a certain type of law, that if they followed certain types of rituals, that that would bring them salvation. That that would end up pleasing God. And yet, what we know is that that's not true. Because what the gospel says, and what Jesus points out, is that there is nothing that we can do to bring us into right standing with God. That there is nothing that we can do to have salvation with the Lord. There is only one thing, and that is to believe in Jesus Christ as our personal Savior and Lord. And yet what the Pharisees were telling us, what the Pharisees were telling the people, is that if you follow these rules, if you do this ritual, if you do these types of things, that is what is going to lead you to salvation. That is what's going to help you into eternal life. And Jesus saw this, and he saw how wicked their thinking was, and how bad and perverted their type of ideology was. And so immediately, he cuts them off, and he tells them one thing, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. That's the gospel. That is only through Jesus Christ. That is not Jesus and some of our work. It's not Jesus and if I'm a good Christian. It's not Jesus and if I'm able to pray a lot or if I'm able to go to church fairly often or if I read the Bible a little bit. No, no. It's only Jesus. That's it. We are in right standing by his blood and his blood alone. It's through his sacrifice. Nothing else. And for us, if there's any amount of belief that is because of our actions, because of what we've done, 
then we slowly and we will surely be like the Pharisees who start to believe that, okay, if it's our work, then we have to follow these rules. We have to do these things. And it becomes, the gospel stops becoming about God and starts becoming about us and what we can do. That's the one thing that Jesus tells us that we cannot do. We are not obeying in order to be accepted. We are accepted and therefore willing to obey. That's the gospel. See, church, chapter 6, what we see here, it gets at the heart of this conflict because chapter 6 is, is about the Sabbath. You see, every seventh day from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, the people did not do any work. And this observance became so important that for Judaism, it was kind of the cornerstone of how they worked around everything else. Their, their Sabbath was the, the main thing for them. But Jesus immediately attacks the Sabbath mindset and turns it around. Because what you'll read in this passage is you see that Jesus has almost this disdain for how they observe the Sabbath. He doesn't say, you know what, oh, I, you know, I, I really applaud how you're doing this but I wish that you did. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, oh, you know, I, I see how hard you work and like, I appreciate you in that, but like, I wish that you kind of just changed it. He doesn't say anything. He immediately says, what you're doing is wrong. What you need to do is change this. You are doing what is not pleasing to the Lord. He is so upfront about it. You see, before we go into the rest of this passage, I, I just want to point out, I, I think that's so important for us as we look at this because I think in our, in our culture today, kind of the main, the main words is compromise or, or tolerance even, right? And so we want to make sure that everyone's included. We want to make sure that everyone is okay. And, and especially, I think, within the church, that type of mindset can be really prevalent, saying uh, we have to make sure that people feel okay and then kind of usher them into what we're trying to, to teach. But the Bible is really clear that when it comes to the preaching and teaching of the gospel, there are no compromises. Jesus is clear when it comes to the gospel, and there are no other options. There are no other kind of pathways. You can't mix or add on little bits to it. It is the one truth, and there is nothing else to it. I think for a lot of other areas that we can coddle a little bit or we can try to work around, but when it comes to the gospel, and I think for you two brothers and sisters, I see a lot of our leaders here, that when you are teaching and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have to be so clear in what you're saying. There aren't little areas where you can mix or match. There isn't little areas where you can kind of go work around. You have to be clear in what you're saying as we follow after Jesus Christ that the gospel is only through our faith in Jesus Christ. There is nothing and no one else. And so when you're teaching your children, when you're teaching students, when you're explaining the gospel to a stranger or to a friend, it is so important for us to be clear in this. Because it is so easy for us to start believing that salvation can be earned by something else, by another thing, by how much we're able to work, by how much we're able to pray. But it's so clear, church, that Jesus is saying salvation is found in him alone. So what we see is verse 1. On a Sabbath, 
while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. You see, this word <clears throat> Sabbath, it means to cease or to rest. And it actually means to not only just kind of, it means to completely 100% cease, to 100% rest. And it was a word that was used to describe the seventh day commandment. You see, back in the Ten Commandments, God, he puts the Sabbath as a law. Exodus 20 verse 9 says, Six days you labor and do all your work. The seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male, your female servant, your cattle, your sojourner who stays with you. So what is God's Sabbath law? What's the law that is in the Bible? Don't work. That's it. There's nothing more that's added on to it. What God is saying is, look, take a day off. Refresh your body. Refresh your spirit. Be with your family. Enjoy your life. This is the Sabbath law. What we see is that the law was a gift from God to give us a moment from the busyness of our lives. What we know about everything that's going on, especially in, I think, our culture and our generation, is that for six days out of the week, we are constantly doing stuff. We're constantly busy. You know, when I do ministry, when I'm counseling other people too, and I ask how they're going, how they're doing, you know, the, the main response I hear from them is, uh, I'm, I'm so busy right now, Pastor Danny. I, I'm, I'm busy doing life. I'm, I'm busy with work. I, I've, I've never heard, I don't think I've heard once yet, oh, I'm, I'm just kind of not doing anything. I'm just kind of just at home and just resting. I, I, don't, think I've, I don't think I've ever heard that in, in my 10 years of ministry. It's always been I'm busy doing this, I'm busy doing that. I'm, and I understand that. I see that too. Because work is busy. Social life is busy. All of these things, you, you can pack your schedule to such a, a, an extent. And yet that's why God has given us this Sabbath law as a day of rest, as a gift to us, church. It's a gift. It's meant for us that in the busyness of our lives, that as we are prioritizing all of these other things, that for one day out of the week, God is saying, look, I'm going to give you this day so that you can reprioritize your heart, so that you can rest, and so that you can see me, and I am the one who is going to give you true rest. That of all these other things that I know is taking away from you, where your family is taking away from you, where work is taking away from you, where social life is taking away from you, from one day out of the week, as you come to church and worship, I am going to pour into you so that you can restart anew. That is the law of Sabbath. That is the gift that God has given us. And yet what has happened in Judaism back then is that they have warped this to the point where they have put all of these other laws in place where it no longer becomes a gift from God, a day to look forward to, to rest in the Lord. It has become a day of hardship, a day where they hate going because there are just so many other restrictions. You see, what has happened back then is that the Pharisees have put in so many laws. And what they have told them is that if you follow these laws, then you will be saved. If you do not follow these laws, 
then salvation will be taken away from you. You see, what happened was that the Jewish religion has become so externally motivated that they had instituted all of these rules and these laws for them to earn their salvation. It stopped becoming a gift, and it started becoming the most painful day of the week. You see, the people began to hate the Sabbath. They couldn't do anything. Let me give you uh, some examples of, of what they couldn't do. You could not travel more than 3,000 feet from your home. You could, you could lift up certain things and put down certain things only from certain places. You could lift up something from a, a public place and put it into a private place or from a private place and put it into a public place, but you could not put a public you cannot put something from a public place into a public place, uh, and you cannot put something from a private place into a private place. You could lift up things from a wide place and put them into a narrow place, but you cannot put something from a narrow place into a wide place. You couldn't carry anything on your person that weighed more than a dried fig. So there goes, you know, your wallet or your purse or whatever. But you could carry half a fig two times on the Sabbath day for a special exemption. And I know that sounds like so overdramatic. I know that sounds so ridiculous, but I want you to remember one thing. Your salvation depends on this. Think about it. For these people, they were taught from an early age that following these rules allowed them to go to heaven. If they disobeyed, if they did not follow these rules, they would be going to hell. So for them, for us, it sounds strange, it sounds ridiculous, it sounds funny, but for them, it was life and death. For them, it was eternal life. For them, it meant everything. And so they could not rest. For them, they were so restricted in what they could do. So they saw Sabbath as a day of punishment. And so this was the culture of Jesus when he was with his disciples in chapter 6. And what we see is that on the Sabbath, they are walking through the field and eating grain, something that we see the law says that they cannot do. But in verse 2, it says that the Pharisees appeared and asked him, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Remember that these are all just rules that were made up by the Pharisees not in the Bible. And Jesus responds by saying, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence. You know, I love that because I think that David, is, I think that uh, Jesus is being sarcastic because he's like, have you not read? Do you not hear about this? You know, he's trying, he's being a little sassy and I don't want, uh, that sounds weird to say Jesus being sassy, but I think Jesus is being kind of sarcastic in the way he's talking to the Pharisees. Because he's trying to point out something that the Pharisees would obviously know about. They know the story of David, and yet they don't understand the meaning of, of what is going to, of what's happening there. Because what he's pointing out is a story in 1 Samuel 21, where David is being chased by Saul. And so David and his friends are trying to escape. And as they are running away, they get to this tabernacle where there is bread. 
But what we know is that this bread is only reserved for the priests. But the priest, you see, he sees David. He talks to them. And he sees that they're good men, that they're hungry for food. And therefore, he gives them the bread to eat. And what Jesus is pointing out is that this story is about mercy and compassion more than about ritual. That what is more important than us following the rituals and, other, and the laws of man is to follow our hearts and our compassion and mercy towards other people. What Jesus is pointing out here is that it's not about the actions that we do on Sabbath day or how many rituals we're able to follow. It's about the motivation of your heart. God cares for our motivation, not necessarily for our action. Yeah, I want to bring this back to our church. The one thing that um, our church always says is to give faithfully and cheerfully, right? And for us, as you know, we're in the middle of a, of a pretty big building project, and we're raising funds so that our next generation can benefit from it. But here's the thing. If you're giving because you feel forced to give, then my recommendation, my hope for you is that you don't give. Please don't give. God doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your service. He doesn't need these things. He desires our heart. He desires our faithfulness. That's it. There's nothing more than that. God doesn't want robots who just give because we have to give or, or do because we have to do. He desires a relationship with us. That's always been the case. That's what Jesus has come to really establish that relationship with us too. And so it's not about the action that we perform. It's not about us having to come and do these things. It's simply about, do you desire to have a relationship with the Lord? Do you desire to grow closer with him? Do you desire to say, God, I prioritize you above everything else, above my own free time, above my own things, above my own money? God, I put you first because I love you, because of what you've done because of all that you have done, because of the sacrifice that you have committed, Lord, I am willing to lay down everything. That is the heart that God desires. It's not about how much you give. It's not about, the for about you forcing yourself to have to do these things. No. It's about the motivation of your heart. It's what we see again and again in Saul when Samuel is talking to Saul. He says, it doesn't, it's not about your sacrifice, it's not about your obedience, it's, it's about your obedience, not your sacrifice. It's about the obedience of your heart, Saul, not about how much you can give. You see, Saul at that time, he was giving from a wrong heart. He was trying to cover his wrongdoings. And so he would be giving and giving because he's king, he would be able to give a lot. And yet God sees the heart. And he says, it's not about how much you give. I care more about your heart and the reason why you're giving. You see, this is the essence of what Jesus says in verse 5. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. The commandment is to rest on the Sabbath. But more than doing nothing, what he's saying is just allow your focus to be on the Lord. That as you go throughout your week, God knows that our hearts are sinful, that we get reprioritized with all of these different things. But on this one day, 
on this one Sabbath, can you come before the Lord and just say, God, I am willing just to give you everything. God, I want to reprioritize my heart to you. God, I just want to sacrifice and give to you at this time. So Jesus, he strikes a huge blow to their Sabbath mindset, but you see he's not done. Verse 6 says that on another Sabbath, Jesus comes into the synagogue and sees a man whose right hand was withered. And it says the Pharisees were watching him in order to see if he would heal the man so that they could accuse him. Isn't that kind of like, that's so messed up when you read that, right? The Pharisees are just messed up people, right? Like they're just like kind of watching like in the corner of their eyes saying, okay, if, if, if this guy gets healed after all of these years of like kind of in pain, man, all we're going to do is just go up to Jesus and just, oh, that's whatever, you know, that's, that's, just, that's the Pharisees. How petty are these guys? You see, the reason that they were willing to accuse him was because one of the rules that they made was that no one would be healed on the Sabbath. But Jesus knows their thoughts. And so he says in verse 9, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? Do you see that, church? It's the same thing that had happened before. Is it better to follow these rules that we made or is it better to do good to others? Is it better for us to follow the religion or is it better for us to follow the gospel? Is it better for us to just follow these rules because they're rules or is it better for us to look at the motivations of our hearts? And after saying this in verse 10, he says to the man, stretch out your hand. And it says that the hand was restored. Something miraculous, something so sudden. And at this point, I think for us, you would expect the next verse to say, and the Pharisees were astonished and they believed, right? But look at verse 11. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. They were furious because they believed Jesus was in the wrong and they were in the right. Church, I think that this is kind of the, the end part for us as well. As we go through our lives, as we go through our days, one thing that God is going to do is, is oftentimes convict our hearts that there are times when we are in the wrong. There are times when we are not following after Christ. There are times when we have prioritized other things above the Lord. In those times, there are two different responses that we can have. And we see these two different responses with the two different types of people that Jesus meets. You see, for Jesus, when he confronts and when he talks to the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the adulterers, and he confronts them in their sin, they repent. They go before the Lord. They examine their hearts. And they ask for forgiveness. And yet what we also see on the flip side are the Pharisees that when they're confronted, they immediately begin to blame everybody else but themselves. My church, my brothers and sisters, I believe today, at least for today, God is asking us to examine our hearts and see what our motivation is in our service to him. 
that for you, as you continue to think about serving, as you are here today in attending church, that as you give to uh, your offerings and tithes and to our building project, to serving our children, our little lights, our twinkles, our, our other, you know, our youth group, everybody else, as you're doing all of these things, I believe God is asking this one question, what is the true motivation of your heart? Are you obeying in order to be accepted by him? Or do you truly believe from the bottom of your heart that you are accepted and loved by God? And therefore, you are able just to pour out and to give. Matthew 11 says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, church, the only place where you will find true rest, your true Sabbath, is going to be in directing your heart towards the Lord. That is the only time. That is the only place. Throughout the week, your heart is going to be in every other area, but for one day a week on Sabbath, I pray and I hope that our church will be able to look upon the Lord and find our true rest in him. Amen. Let's pray.